During your high school days, it might have happened that your English class teacher might have asked you to uh, describe a painting, a piece of art. And then you sat in front of this piece of art and uh, uh, maybe managed to put down two or three sentences not quite knowing how to describe uh, how to describe how to cherish this piece of art 20 30 years later you find yourselves here at the forest refuge in Barrie Massachusetts and the instructions are here O retreatant, dwell contemplating the body in the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. And dwelling, and Sutna again, dwell contemplating feelings in feelings, ardent and clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure or discontent in regard to the world. Then the same instruction for dwelling, contemplating mind and mind and contemplating Dhammas or phenomena in Dhammas, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, and having removed covetousness and discontent in regard to the world. So you sit suddenly there in meditation, you observe the same old rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and you've observed it already so many times, you just can't see anything new there. And unfortunately, the next interview comes up tomorrow. <laughs> now, and for you, you observe the rising, the rising movement of the abdomen occurs, and suddenly all you know is the rising movement rises. And the falling movement of the abdomen occurs, and all you'd not know about it, it is that it falls. Five days later, same story. Another five days later, again, the same story. So, you might certainly then realize that uh, you have some difficulties clearly observing and certainly knowing what is actually going on. You might have a difficulty with certain categories or ways and means of observing objects. Today's Dhamma talk will be about this, giving you a number of observational as well as descriptive categories for your work of mindful a mindful contemplation of bodily phenomena of feelings of the mind and also of dhammas now you might we might also call this certainly then vipassana phenomenology and more about certainly this certainly later on now just some before we go into these descriptive uh, uh, observation and descriptive categories let us um, undertake some 
very basic investigation. Namely, when you have a group of ten artists sitting uh, right in front of, let's say, an agricultural field where sunflowers have been planted and sunflowers are growing, then those ten artists will see the same thing and can come up with the same kind of painting or not. They might come up with quite different paintings. So, if one of them is maybe influenced by the expressionist, then he or she might suddenly come up with a rather colorful image with certain colors that tend to be a bit fluid, no, you know, you know, no precise borders, contours of the objects, a certain fuzziness there. And someone else certainly might be influenced by medieval art and suddenly come up with a different portrait or a different painting. Or a modern artist who was ready to well do away with classical traditions in painting then might come up with a totally free expression. Now, when, as retreatants, we observe the rising, fall, the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, or some pain, or maybe some hardness somewhere, or a particular mental state like joy, are we all going to experience these phenomena in one and the same way? Not. And fortunately, not. Now, the differences in observing, perceiving, and observing an object may depend on many different factors. Now, some of those certain factors may be your uh, expertise in uh, your meditation practice, how many retreats you've done already, how many days you've been practicing during this uh, very retreat. And and then mm, there might also be a little bit of a when influence certain through certain mental states, mental factors, and so maybe our education, our upbringing might also play a certain role. Now. When we observe an object, then we, or when we pay close attention to what is happening 
in our meditation practice or in life in general, we might find that consciousness is always taking, just taking in just one object at a time and not two or three objects simultaneously. Although at times the appearance is there of several objects being perceived, being observed and known at the same time. Now, when we sit in meditation and we try to apply the Buddha's Satna Satipatthana instruction on a mindful contemplation of the of body, of the body, the feelings, the mind, and Satna Dhammas, then do we do so with our mind filled with theories? about what is going on. Yes? No? No. Do we do so with the mind putting lots of concepts onto the experience? Again, not. And do we then make any assumptions about certain what certain we are experiencing or what we might be experiencing again a no and do we let certain let's say certain philosophical theories influence our experience ideally not so what we are doing here, the work, the observational and descriptive work that we're do doing here, um, is in some ways very similar to what has been described in philosophy as phenomenology. And this phenomenology is a 20th century philosophical movement with roots that go you know, far you know, um, um, earlier than the 20th century and dedicated to the describing of experience as they present themselves to consciousness without recourse to theory, deduction, assumptions from other disciplines such as natural sciences. So, in other words, phenomenology is just how, without using any theories, without using any scientific instruments or so, we just state what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and certainly what we come to know. Now, this phenomenological approach deals with what? Only external objects? Not. So, it does deal with external objects, for instance, when we see a visible object, some sight. 
it does deal with external objects when uh, it deals with, uh, let's say, a sound. So you know, then there's an observation of uh, a hearing process. The same thing you know, goes up you know, for the smelling process, goes for you know, the um, you know, tasting process, for tactile experiences, and then um, does do so we do so we're not only involved in observing external phenomena but also internal phenomena so internal phenomena such as a pain uh, or the rising falling movement of foot near the abdomen or it could be hardness stiffness heat cold movements and certain so on and then maybe a feeling maybe a perception now is that all does our investigation limit itself to just these objects, categories of objects? No? What else? Well, there's thought, too. Ah, there's a thought. Yes. So there are mental objects. And what else? Feeling. Feeling, yes. And certainly there's also consciousness itself. Or we can say in general, mm, the mind and as the Abhidhamma tells us, the mind consists of two major categories, namely consciousness and mental formations. Now, by looking at, a, let's say, several pieces of art by a particular artist, you can at least make an educated guess about his or her, let's say, um, way of seeing the world, or maybe, maybe even a little bit his or her personality, and so on. In the same way, if you take uh, you know, several books of an author, and you read them thoroughly from start certain to finish, then you know, these books will enable you to know at least a little bit about the author himself or herself. Likewise, in our meditation practice, by carefully observing objects, and certainly those could be external objects or internal objects. By paying close attention to how we see you know, those objects, and oftentimes those are the same objects that we've observed already many you know, times, but we may find over time that our relationship to those objects differs. So it's not always the same thing. It's not always one and the same experience, right? And so this satna then may, just by paying attention to how we relate to an object and how we you know, see an object, might give us a clue as to what is going on in the mind. Now, by 
listening to a sound, a beginning retreatant might say then, observe certain that certain sound, certain that hearing process, certain carefully, and come up with the following you know, descriptive you know, statement, namely, I am hearing, let's say, a bird chirping. Now, this statement, I am hearing a bird chirping, tells you already what? What was that? Yes, some self-identification is still there. Because the very first statement is, or the very first word in this statement is, I am hearing a bird chirping. Now, it may happen that at one point in our practice, we observe the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and suddenly there are plenty of unpleasant sensations there, painful sensations, so maybe hardness, stiffness, and sort of full-blown full pain, and suddenly then we notice that the mind takes a certain disliking to the experience. Maybe a day or two later, we observe the same right now. We again we observe the same object, namely the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and um, maybe um, the um, the painful sensations are still there. However, now we find you know, that the mind is quite okay with the object. It's just the rising and falling, just different sensations that are occurring in the rising and falling. So, this tells you what? In the first case, an observation that was influenced by? By, by the feeling of unpleasantness. There you go, of unpleasantness, of disliking. No? And in the second case, again, same object, rising and falling, also a bit painful. And in the second case, observing that same rising and falling with a mental attitude or with a mental state, predominant mental state of uh, equanimity. So, there is not just one single way of experiencing an object. So things will depend greatly on what is going on in the so-called subject, namely ourselves, and to be more specific, the mind. And so, uh, to give you yet another example, again, we observe uh, the rising and falling, that is a bit uh, painful, and while observing it, we fall asleep. Now, same object, but uh, a different outcome. We fall asleep. Now, why is this? Uh, because sleepiness is prevalent in the mind at that certain particular point. Or we observe the you know, same bit painful rise and fall, and suddenly then we come up with the descriptive statement my rising and falling uh, is uh, maybe 
uh, a real pain. <laughs> and so you know, this certain sense of self is certainly there. Or at another time, it could be just the rising and falling. So not mine uh, anymore. You know, the rising and falling is so and so. So mm, Vipassana meditation or mindfulness meditation is not just about a careful observation of various objects out there, but is also, a, in, in doing so, we learn something about suddenly the mind that is observing, that entity or that subject that is observing. And as we keep doing this, we realize that uh, as the mind changes, our way of perceiving it and observing it and coming to know it also changes. Now, to complicate matters further, when observing one pain, at first it may be totally compact and not changing in any way. Now, we keep observing it for several days, and then we start finding that this pain, number one, is not compact, and number two, that it keeps changing all the time. So, then we have the following situation, that we have an object, namely a pain, that keeps changing again and again, being observed by a mind that also keeps changing, uh, making it change quite frequently. So we are in a rather difficult situation where things keep changing all the time, the objects keep changing, the observing mind and knowing mind also keeps changing, and this thing requires of us what? Well, really, there you go. <laughs> Continuous attention, highest attention to what is really going on. And to take the simple, the simple approach, well, you know, rising occurs and the rising is rising and the falling occurs and the falling is falling. This then, will it still work or not? It will not work anymore because reality is quite certainly different. Now, the one of the propagators of modern phenomenology was Edwards, Edmund Husserl, and uh, a European uh, philosopher, and uh, then his and his work is partly uh, based on uh, earlier uh, philosophers, and so so uh, Husserl's mm, writings on phenomenology uh, then were taken and further developed by some of his students and others, such as um, Martin Heidegger 
and Satya then uh, also mm, people like or philosophers like Jean-Paul Sartre. Now, this phenomenology has uh, mm, the original phenomenology over the past century has taken quite some development, it appears, and has spread into many fields of modern sciences. And so phenomenology is important, for instance, in psychology, it is being used in sociology, it is also used in medicine, and then it's, and then we find as meditators, we are engaging in this quite naturally. Now, we can say that our work of mindfulness, meditation, is not only a work of purifying the mind, but also of becoming ever more skilled in the observation of what is really happening and of becoming ever more skilled in knowing and understanding phenomena in a more objective manner. However, that objectivity itself is probably or is relative. So, to make the point here, the way a beginning retreatant will experience the world of internal and external phenomena will be one thing, and the way an arahant who has purified the mind of all mental defilements will be a bit different, probably drastically different. And so, just for us to know that there is quite a spectrum here when it comes to objectivity. And the way we see the rising and falling movement of the abdomen at the beginning of a retreat is one thing, and at first it may seem as certain an objective and realistic you know, observation and description, but later on we find, well, now we see it in a quite a different certain way because our mindfulness has become stronger, our concentration has improved, our effort has improved, and our wisdom power has also improved. And the mental defilements have subsided to some extent. And it's a well-known phenomenon among retreatants uh, that they would certainly say, well, mm, mm, 
they would maybe at one point or another describe the rising and falling movement of the of the abdomen to be very soft, and suddenly then, maybe two three days later, they would say mm, that softness earlier on isn't actually wasn't actually all that soft. Now it's really soft. And then, again, a few days later, the degree of softness increases even further. And softness, or near the earlier experiences of softness, near then seem like, in comparison, relatively coarse. So that's a really common experience. Now, When we observe some physical objects, like a pain, and then maybe some mental state, and then a couple of other objects, and then we go and report these certain things during interview, and then we start out like this. Well, I observed a pain in a heroic manner, and certainly then this pain was no problem whatsoever. I experienced it in such and such a manner. And certainly this is probably an experience of, uh, or this tells me that my practice is in the knowledge of Sankho Pekka Jnana. So the knowledge of uh, the uh, equanimity uh, towards certain uh, formations. Now, this uh, description uh, during, or the statement during interview is laced with what? with ego, and on top of that, pardon me? Greed, yes. Conceit, yes. And certainly also, well, a certain evaluation, judgment of what is certainly going on. There's no need to say that this is probably a birth of such and such an insight, certain knowledge. So, as... Uh, mindfulness, certain retreat, or retreatance in mindfulness, certain meditation, we try to observe and present our experiences as objectively as possible, without any, without going into judgments, without going into any evaluations, assumptions, and what certain not, and so. We have to be like um, like someone who suffers from some illness, maybe Lyme disease, owing to getting bitten by a tick, a deer tick, and uh, and then. When we describe, when we don't go and see the doctor, then we have to describe really precisely what certainly happened, and not just what we think and theories about the whole thing. Now, based on an accurate description, the physician then will be able to give proper treatment. That's not the hard part, though. The hard part is getting the tick out of your body. 
without hurting or harming it. Uh, yeah, right. Really yeah, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> the hard part in Vipassana practice is observing you know, those various objects that come up and then ultimately eradicating the mental defilements. <laughs> and that's probably harder than you know, for a physician to get rid of the tick. <laughs> Now, um, just for general knowledge, in terms of our comparison, vipassana or mindfulness meditations or observation in mindfulness meditation and um, phenomenology philosophy, where do we stand? Well, and the Buddha's Abhidhamma. So the Buddha's Abhidhamma for almost 99% is nothing other than phenomenology. Namely, it is a form of descriptive philosophy and not a speculative type of philosophy where we sit there and we just engage in much of thinking and theorizing and suddenly then come up with some new uh, uh, philosophical understanding. But the Abhidhamma is in one way different from phenomenology, namely as far as Nibbana is concerned. And Nibbana more or comes than or has to do with the ontological part of philosophy. So, the essence trying to get at the the essence of things. Now, as for the various descriptive observational descriptive categories, I'll run through these and give a few examples here and there. So, for those of you who would like to well improve your observational skills, for one thing, when you're observing this ever the same, seemingly the same rising and falling, you might check how the object is doing in terms of qualities such as hardness versus softness. Or whether there's some solidity there, some roughness there, or smoothness. So. What we're talking about here is nothing other than the the element, the primary element of Patavidatu, namely the earth element, which manifests as uh, can manifest as hardness, but also as softness and all those other qualities. 
Now, when observing an object, and so not only the rise and fall, but it could be any you know, physical object, we might certainly you know, pay attention to the temperature aspect. So, how is our you know, object doing in terms of temperature? How are we experiencing it? So, does the experience go along with a burning sensation, or does it go along with heat, or maybe warmth, or lukewarm, and suddenly then coolness, and on the other end, cold or icy cold. And now we might, and suddenly these different aspects then all fall under what is known as the fire element again one of Fatna those Satna great Satna elements and then how is our object of observation doing in terms of movement Mm, so this could be the body as a whole, or it could be a pain that is maybe moving around or maybe not moving around. So it could be movement or an absence of movement, so stillness. Or mm, there could be aspects such as the distension of an object, like in the case of the rising movement or falling movement. And then the qualities such as pressure also come under this particular category, which is also known as Vayodatu, namely the wind element. Now, the Abhidhamma proposes yet another classificatory or another classification, and so it speaks of the water element, Apodatu. This we might experience as some flowing going on, some sensation flowing, or some oozing, or some trickling. Now, as alluded to already in an earlier Dhamma talk, we might want to, on occasion, pay attention to our sitting posture. So the sitting posture itself, what is it doing? So are we sitting there like a Buddha statue, perfectly upright? Or is the sitting posture upright and maybe stiff? Or is it upright and relaxed? Is our posture slanted, maybe slouched, maybe sagged? And suddenly then, do we experience a certain restlessness of posture? That said, we keep moving the body all the time, turning it this way, turning it that way, and the head goes along with it, and suddenly so on. Now, Mindfulness practice is not only about certain pleasant experiences, but also to quite some extent about difficult physical sensations such as pains and aches and certain difficult mental objects. Now, when it comes to a pain, there is not just one standard type of pain. 
pain. But rather, in the course of intensive practice, we might find that there are differences in terms of the intensity of the pain. So it could be, and the pain could be excruciating, unbearable, it could be a sharp pain, it could be an intense pain, or it could be a dull pain, or even a mild pain. And then, in terms of the quality of pain, we could be experienced, it could be a piercing pain, or it could be a stabbing pain, or a shooting pain, so that suddenly shoots in a certain direction, a throbbing or burning pain, stinging pain. We could find that there's a lot of tearing involved, or sometimes it feels as if, as if, let's say, you know, someone is cutting across the leg with a knife, so a cutting pain, or it might be a pricking pain, or a poking pain, or even a pounding pain. So, there is no shortage of different types of pains for you to observe carefully what is actually going on. Now, a pretty basic or maybe even fundamental aspect to pay attention to is the continuity of certain things, namely continuity of our effort, continuity of our mindfulness, and continuity of the practice in general. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, whether we experience a discontinuity of effort, of mindfulness, and of practice in general. So, this off-and-go type of meditation practice. So, whatever it might be, our job is to know what is going on. So when we find that our mindfulness is pretty continuous, okay, then this is good, we acknowledge this. And uh, on the other hand, if uh, at other times certain you know, things aren't certainly then certainly continuous, then you know, to also know this and, and then do something about it. Now, at certain points, in our meditation our practice, the sequence in which major experiences or phenomena take place matters a great deal. So, what do you experience at the very beginning of your sitting? What do you experience 
in terms of the rising falling movement of the abdomen. This, if you take a first look at the rise and fall, might give you a baseline of where your practice is at. And certainly then you might find that within one sitting, the rise and fall undergoes certain changes, and those changes then can be quite telling about what is certainly going on in the practice. So, a sequence of events in terms of the rising falling movement of the abdomen, in terms of prominent physical sensations, in terms of posture, and also in terms of prominent mental states. And you might do this in the sitting meditation, but you might also pay attention to this during the walking meditation and general activities. Now, there's another category that at certain points may be very useful, namely to pair attention to what we might call pairs of opposites or antidotes. So, things like, on the one hand side, sloth and torpor, and on the other hand, good effort. Or it could be things like unhappiness versus happiness. Or maybe heaviness of the body versus lightness of the body. Or stiffness of the body versus a relaxed state of the body. Or it could be maybe experiencing plenty of pains and aches for a while and then a period of hardly no pains or uh, no pains at all. Now, when our attention is directed to an object out there, so let's say especially a physical object, then we uh, could explore its composition. So, it's not always that one physical object is uh, um, of an entirely um, of an, a standard certain composition. So, let's say only hard. It could very well be that you know, the core of the object might be hard, however it's wrapped up in softness. So the core, you know, the quality of the core is one thing, and the you know, what is happening or how we experience the object at the periphery is again a different thing. Now, there are times when you know, the aspect of time itself is crucial and may help us very much to understand what is going on in the practice. So, for instance, do we experience several objects that are overlapping? So, while one object is still going on, another object arises, and then we have two, sometimes even three objects going on going on for a while with a certain overlap. Or is it that 
mm, one object arises and only after that object has disappeared does the next object arise. So, do we experience objects in a linear fashion or is there a certain overlap? And then, at times the impression might be there that there's a certain synchronicity. So, as that certain objects or certain things seem to be happening simultaneously. And synchronicity also in the in connection with the observation itself that the observing and knowing mind is in sync with let's say the movement of the abdomen so one rising movement so our attention is right away with the beginning of the rising movement and then is in sync with the entire rising movement until its sudden very end or you might want to pay attention to a really simple aspect, namely the aspect of duration. So it's also a time aspect. How long is an object lasting? Do I experience some object for the entire sitting? Or do I experience it for just a couple of minutes? Or maybe just a few seconds? Or maybe just a moment or two? And certainly, so keep an eye on this. You might, you might also, at least at times, consider how much your attention is really in the present moment. Are you vaguely in the present moment, such as being mindful once a minute, or are you a bit more in the present moment by being mindful maybe 30, 40 times in a minute, or are you quite in the present moment if when mindfulness is suddenly there, let's say about 60, 60 times in a uh, in a minute. So there's a huge difference between these three cases. Now, when we start out with a retreat, then oftentimes we might suddenly come across a pain. The pain seems solid and suddenly not changing. So what we experience at that point is the static character of the phenomenon, namely that compact, solid nature. Now, a few days down the road, a few days into our retreat, we'd look at certainly the same or somewhat similar pain, and certainly now we no longer, or now we might at first experience it as certainly being compact solid and then as we keep observing it we find how it's breaking up into parts the parts are then breaking up into bits and pieces and those suddenly might then turn into um, particles or vibrations and so at that point we 
Rather than seeing the static character of phenomena, we see the process character of phenomena. We see how an object keeps changing over time. So, earlier on, just a few moments ago, the category was that of time, and another fundamental observational category and descriptive category is that of location. So, how are we doing in terms of an object? Can we clearly locate it or not? Now, as a beginning retreatant, you would say, obviously I can locate uh, uh, my pain, I can locate, uh, it's in the right knee, and so uh, my rising and falling is taking place in the abdomen, as usual. Uh, what's so special about this? But, uh, maybe 10 days later, 15 days later, you might find a pain is there, and you experience, you sense it quite clearly, but you can no longer locate it. You no longer know whether it's happening in the right knee or the left knee or in the maybe big toe or small toe or in other parts of the body. So that at that point in the practice, the location which of an object and location is just a concept, it's a mental concept and in concept, a mental construct that has broken apart, it's no longer there. And you know, our observation is freed from that concept, and so there's just a bare you know, observation of what is actually happening. Now, mm, at a certain point in the practice, we might come across a big range of objects that are occurring. One object after another, here and there, all over the place. And the mind is pretty busy. And then, some days later, so at first, so the first situation is that of a multitude of objects. And then, a few days later, we find that the number of objects that come up for our observation has greatly reduced, and there are just a few, two, three major objects that come up, and one object at a time. And so, then the development is from a multitude of objects to one of fewness of objects. Now, since we're running out of time, I'll just mention a few other observational descriptive categories, and, so, and then you just have to fill in those yourselves. How we're doing in terms of entanglement and entanglement involvement in an object, and on the other hand, maintaining a certain distance, observing an object with a certain, let's say, detachment, non involvement. And then, 
When observing an object, do we know its specific qualities? Or do we know its, let's say, conditioned characteristics, such as the beginning, middle, or end? Or do we know its universal characteristics, such as Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta? Then, and this is an important point, some human beings, some or other, become generalizers, and others go for uh, being as specific as possible in uh, descriptions. Here, in our mindfulness practice, we do not want to be generalizers. Uh, but rather uh, we want to be as we want to mm, mm, train in being as specific as possible of our in our description observation and description of phenomena now at some points in the practice or actually in at many points in practice, it is the aspect of predominance which can be taken as a guiding aspect to when it comes to which object to observe next. So just go by that. What object keeps coming up again and again? Which object is calling our attention? And then you focus on that. Now, you might at times also check how an object is doing in terms of its density. Then you might want to pay attention to the clarity or lack of clarity of our perception of an object. Then you might check whether there is a contour to the body or not. At times that contour falls away, the shape, the form, the outline of the body. That's just a mental concept, that's all. And then the aspect of speed, speed of the observing mind, the speed of the arising and passing of objects, whether this is happening slowly or quickly, speed of our perception, those kind of things all one all matter also in terms of wandering mind there's so many different types of wandering mind so for us to know what kind of wandering mind is certainly going on and then you might want to pay attention to the breathing itself so are we gasping for air or is our breathing shallow is it deep are we hyperventilating or is it pretty uh, regular and so on and so, is our practice stagnating or is there a development from sitting to sitting from day to day and certainly then what about the complexity of experiences? Are uh, our experiences rather simple, straightforward, or you know, rather you know, complex, several layers to you know, the rising and falling movement of you know, the abdomen? And then, in connection, what uh, was uh, connection with an earlier Dhamma talk, namely attitudes? We might on occasion want to pay attention to our 
mental attitude in the observation of a predominant object. So, do we observe an object with a greedy attitude or with an aversive attitude or full of pride and conceit or with a strong sense of self and or maybe with loving kindness in the mind and so on and so forth. So, and then as related to some extent during the outset of the talk, what do we learn over time in the observation of these different objects about the mind itself? So, how the mental factors influence our way of observing objects. So, attitudes is an aspect here, and other things could also then make a difference. So, there is much to be observed, and let me conclude by wishing may all of us become experts and skilled in in the observation of what is actually happening within us, without us, and ultimately may we become arahants in order to see formations in a really objective manner, free from all uh, free from all hallucinations, free from all distortions, wrong views, and the influence of unwholesome mental states. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.